contain myself. Yeah, I think that's been kind of the talk of the the day or the talk of last night and today is, uh, you know, some people have already started to put out some analysis videos and uh, even Tucker himself kind of had a short video that he put out of his thoughts, you know, right after. So, um, yeah, regardless of what people's opinions are of the material that was covered or or um, the things that either Putin said or that Tucker asked, I, I certainly do believe that it has been the topic of the day. And I'm assuming that that video is going to continue to amass a lot of views over the course of the weekend. So, Ivan, I did get a chance to see at least part of your appearance, uh, I think, with uh, with you and General Flynn and Colonel Manis. Uh, I, I didn't get to see the whole thing, but uh, I, I did enjoy that discussion right at the beginning where they talked about uh, where, where you were mentioning the budding young uh, journalist. And so that was uh, it was very, very good. Uh, glad that you guys were on the, the front end of doing some analysis on that on that interview. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hey, just real quick while we're waiting on folks, I see a couple of people in here. Uh, Pedro is a new face. Uh, if he wants, I would recommend him jumping in. Uh, he's kind of probably, hopefully, would be the face of cleaning out one of the agencies within the executive branch of which he was a part of. So uh, keep that name out uh, on the lookout, Brad and Rob. Pedro Ortega. Excuse me, Orta. Will do. Um, all right. Well, let's go ahead. I'm sure we'll have more people that are going to go ahead and trickle in. And uh, like I said a couple of minutes ago, if you would, you know, go ahead and share the link again and let people know that we have started. We have kicked this off. What a great way to spend a Friday night. So let's just talk really quickly about what we're going to do tonight. If you remember, we had a fantastic Spaces event on the evening of January 1st when we kicked this off. So just to kind of rehash where we've been over the last you know, five weeks or so, maybe closer to six weeks, we sent out the declaration of uh, military accountability early in the morning on January 1st. And again, you know, that consisted of us kind of sending this initial salvo, which was an email to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and other senior Pentagon officials, and then letting them know that this open letter from the 231 signatories was about to hit the streets, as it were. And then uh, after that, you know, we engaged through social media or through um, certain other platforms via interviews, et cetera. And we really got this message to spread. And in all honesty, by the night of January 1st, we had already gained so much momentum in, I don't know, 12 or 14 hours that uh, we decided to immediately capitalize on it by holding that first Spaces event, which was a tremendous success. And since then, over the last four or five weeks, we continued to gain a lot of momentum. And we've done, I don't know what the total number is, but kind of a core of us, the, the signatories have probably done a total of 50 interviews, maybe close to 60 interviews since January 1st, in which we've kind of told the story of the Declaration of Military Accountability. And so if somebody were to ask me to just succinctly say, what is the story of the Declaration of Military Accountability? This is what I would say. I would say, yes, it's a pledge of a small group of people to the American people that 
we are no longer going to stand by while the military destroys itself because its own senior leaders have kind of turned against the organization and the organization's own, own charter or reason for its existence. But it's deeper than that. It's also about getting at the core of what we believe as Americans, you know, not just the culture of what it means to be an American service member, but it goes beyond that and what it means to actually be an American. And so tonight, what I think we're going to talk about as we get through this is, well, what does it mean to be an American? And why do we care so much about this? And even if you have no connection personally to the military, if you haven't served, maybe nobody in your family served, that doesn't mean that you think that the military is unimportant or it may not necessarily mean that you think that what happens in the military is not important for the trajectory of the nation, you know, because what I would say is that if you want to destroy America, first of all, you're going to have a hard time doing it with military might, you know, if you're the enemies of America out there. So you're going to have to attack America in other ways. And if you want to attack American culture or the ethos of what it means to be an American, you're going to have to go after the military. Again, not just because of the military might that the armed forces represent, but because of the culture and the ethos that have been enshrined for so long in the military that have become this significant pillar of what it means to be an American. And so that's why I think, not just as somebody who has served in the military, but just as an American, that's why I think it's important for us to preserve our military as part of preserving our country. Because I do believe that our, our country, um, I, I just, I believe the stakes are very high, you know, and I've, I've said before that I, I think our country is kind of teetering on the precipice. I do believe that. I mean, I've used that, that kind of strong language before. I mean, I, I do think that's kind of true. But I'm also an optimistic person by nature. So I do believe that there are things that we can still do. But by being optimistic, it doesn't mean that I'm naive. So I do believe that we need to have a realistic appraisal of the challenges that we're facing right now. And so what that means is, you know, we got to get engaged. And something that if you've heard some of my interviews, you may hear me say is that, you know, we live in a republic, if you can keep it, as Benjamin Franklin said, you know, according as the story goes, when he when he walks outside, and runs into this woman who asks him the question as to, hey, what government did you give us when um, he was participating in the Philadelphia Convention in 1787? Well, what does it mean to live in a republic? Well, it certainly means you have a lot of protected rights, and that's a great thing. But there's another side of that coin. There's a lot of responsibility that lies on the shoulders of citizens of a republic. And so, therefore, it's incumbent upon us to understand that and to be informed and to get active and to be engaged. We are not going to win this fight from the couch. Now, I, I, I know that I'm speaking to people who already understand that, but just in our engagements with our friends, our families, other people that we're talking to, this is the defining fight of our lives. I mean, it really is. And I think that's why, as we've said before, so many people know that 2024 is going to be a defining year. I mean, everybody can just kind of feel the, the, the atmosphere is almost just charged with, with energy. And I think that that's why when, um, when we were talking with, uh, once this, this document had been created by Rob and then maybe kind of tweaked by some others, there was only one question as to when this was going to roll out. Or, I mean, there was only, you know, only one answer to the question of when this was going to roll out. And it's, the obvious date is January 1st, and we're just, you know, we're going to hit the ground running and we're going we're gonna to move quickly through 2024. So um, with that said, I'm just going to turn it over to Rob quickly in case he has any opening comments. And then um, 
I'll take it back. I got some other things that I just want to share real quick, and then we'll uh, we'll move forward from there. So, Rob, if you've got anything you'd like to add in, well, thank you, Brad. Uh, just a, a, a thank you to everybody who's tuning in, and a reminder: uh, go let everybody know that we've started this space. Uh, repost it. Uh, invite uh, your friends uh, to come in and join and and get the update on the Declaration of Military Accountability and what the next steps are. Uh, so uh, if you'd like to speak, if you'd like to ask questions, um, we're going to do, we're going to open it up towards the end of this. And then, you know, those of us who are, who are on as speakers, you can ask us any questions you like uh, related to national security. You know, what, what we've been doing with the Declaration of Military Accountability. We're happy to answer any of those questions. Uh, for the lineup, um, I'm going to kick it over to just a second to Ivan. And then uh, we'll go to John Frankman. Uh, Sonny's got some things to say about the VA, We've got uh, Doc Pete Chambers lined up, and then Carolyn. So um, that's the lineup. We'll, we'll do a few minutes talking about the things that we have been uh, pushing, fighting, messaging with, with the Declaration, with national security, with military readiness, and how that relates to everything going on right now in our nation. So uh, again, a big thank you to everybody who's been supporting us, been supporting the, the pledge for the American people, uh, we've been calling it the petition, but it is actually a pledge that Americans go and you go sign that in support of the Declaration of Military Accountability at militaryaccountability.com. And you're actually taking a pledge to do the same thing that we are pledging to do in the military. You're pledging to do that in your local community against every official who are, who's breaking the law, that we're going to hold them accountable. Uh, so please keep pushing that. Please keep doing everything you're doing. Thank you for supporting us and helping us get the word out. So uh, over to you, Ivan. Um, you've got it. I right, appreciate it. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Rob. And I'm going to open it up with kind of a quick update. And then, John, if you want to add anything with your interactions with members of Congress, I want to give you a little synopsis of what's transpired over this last five weeks in terms of the support that we've been getting at least verbally, from members of Congress. And I think it's going to start to escalate, particularly as you're going to start to see even larger audiences getting uh, an introduction to the Declaration of Military Accountability and what that means. So I'm going to start off with uh, Congressman Eli Crane from Arizona uh, sent this in. He, he was going to try to br come into the space, but I think he's on a plane. So instead he sent this note. He says, quote, I'm very glad to see so many of my brothers and sisters uniting to hold our leadership accountable. I have often felt confused and disappointed that more veterans didn't engage in the fight for the integrity of our institutions once they took off the uniform. This assembly of our nation's finest is energizing and gives me hope. So definitely he's on board. Additionally, you have obviously uh, John Frankman, for those that didn't see it, uh, Matt Gates has been retweeting him regularly. And it's probably because he's a constituent. So <laughs> lesson learned. If you're a constituent of a member of Congress, uh, for example, some of the folks that are already on board, Andy Biggs, for example, put the Declaration in, of Military Accountability into the congressional record uh, at a hearing where Matt Lohmeyer spoke about the wokeism and the cultural destruction of our institution. The DOD uh, happened to put that in there. Also, we had, so Matt Gates. Uh, obviously was on the first base. Andy Biggs, I mentioned, and then Eli Crane. And then also we had, I believe it was John Rutherford, a, uh, a 
uh, surprise, if you will, uh, where I don't know if it's going to save his <laughs> ability to remain a member of Congress, but he did send a letter to Lloyd Austin, basically in that letter, uh, and that was in part uh, primarily thanks to Mara Macy and her husband that essentially got him to go ahead and write in that letter that he believed, he being John Rutherford, the congressman from Florida, that the DOD COVID-19 mandate was unlawful and many folks in the DOD chain of command implemented unlawfully, right? So that's, I mean, that's pretty big progress in my opinion. And then the last thing I'll say before handing it over to John is that it's going to take more effort. And I think the next logical step based on the positive response we've gotten from those particular members of Congress and the work that Marjorie Taylor Greene has done with the COVID, uh, the field hearings, right? They're not official hearings, but nonetheless, they're trying to do what they can because remember, Marjorie does not chair a subcommittee or a committee. Thomas Massey does not chair a committee or a subcommittee. And I would argue that those two, probably Massey first and foremost, and then Marjorie Taylor Greene secondly, are the two most vocal supporters in pushing back against this illegal COVID, I, I call it the COVID con, right? COVID coercion and the mandate molestation. So if at some point we can get them, maybe in the next few weeks, to hold a field hearing, maybe uh, chaired by Matt Gates because he serves on the Armed Services Committee, because it, it appears as though we're probably not going to get Mike Rogers, the chair of the House Armed Services Committee, to do anything. But if we can get members of that committee, particularly Gates and then Massey and then Marjorie and Eli Crane and some of the others, maybe uh, Clay Higgins, to jump on board, then I think we can start to bring this to the next level. So that's all state for now. Uh, John. Hey, hey, thanks so much for your update. Um, yeah, so I kind of jumped into this thing July. And uh, can everybody hear me? Well, can you guys give me a thumbs up as long as uh, the mic's good? Okay, cool. So Yeah, you're good. Yeah, we, we can hear you. All right, solid. Yeah, I jumped in on this thing in July, and it was Matt Gates that was helpful. He helped me get my op-ed published, was able to then kind of get up to D.C. a couple times. Now, first trip was October, and going in just kind of uh, – Talk walking in different offices, but was able to meet with Massey, um, have run into and, and met with uh, Corey Mills as well. And Massey has been a very big supporter of ours. Back in 2021, when I was reaching out to different offices, his office, even though I'm not a constituent of his, reached back out. He tried to introduce legislation to stop the mandate from ever happening back in summer of 2021. So he's been on board, extremely helpful, um, extremely communicative. And Going back that second trip in November, I went up with Brianna, Jordan, and myself, and we met with various offices, but through um, some help, we were able to get a meeting with 11 different staffs, 11 different offices, bicameral, uh, with Ron Johnson's folks, um, Rand Paul's on the Senate side, also able to meet with the Ted Cruz um, staffer as well, and I met Ted Cruz, so got some pictures with him. So... We've got we got that support before in November, and the two big things that we've been pushing for is amendments to the National Defense Authorization Act and hearings. And I think it's important to be kind of specific of what we're looking for and what we want different members to do, because we 
it's never good. And us in the military, we know you don't just come with a problem, you come with a solution too. So problem we're, we're posing is that there's a readiness and it's also trying to, I think, bring people in, in terms that they can understand. A lot of people won't go for the illegality. They might be a little bit more hesitant about the injuries, but I think if you bring up the readiness issue and you bring up service members being hurt, that's, I think, the lower hanging fruit we can go on as far as getting people in. So met with these different staffs, very solid, you know, hour, couple hour meeting and pushing for amendments to the National Defense Authorization Act and the hearings. Now, the amendments were trying to get people back into the service, back pay, bringing up uh, their discharge statuses, time in service reinstated, searching through problems that have happened as far as vax injuries and that that's kind of like what we were looking for. And the bare minimum that we thought we were going to get is automatically reinstating service members that they wanted and automatically raising their discharge statuses. Unfortunately, we didn't get that. And that was extremely disappointing with this last round in the NDAA for everyone who voted for it and very surprised that that passed. Now on the hearing side, it's been a little frustrating too, because we were very clear. We want a house armed service committee under military personnel. I think that would be the most direct, uh, the most appropriate hearing for us to go through how personnel were treated, what this does to readiness and the force. But yes, like, like Ivan said, we might not get that with Mike Rogers. I don't know. Um, also weaponization. I think it falls under that submit committee could fall underneath as well. Uh, subcommittee for, uh, COVID select, but like MTG did is you can do these regional hearings. The, I, when I met with Matt Gates last summer um, to kind of speak with him and talking about getting my op-ed out, that was at a regional hearing about defunding the ATF. So I am a, a little upset that we haven't had a regional hearing yet. I know that we're looking to get other hearings for Lloyd Austin, his absence, but really want to make sure that we, we make our voice heard and known that we don't want to just punish the SECDEF for missing work for a week. Now, it's not like to me, he's, he's standing guard, he's in a patrol base and he's not there on his rifle or machine gun or something. You know, there are other people who are in the Pentagon responding. I think the bigger issue is holding him responsible for Afghanistan, which is the bigger strategic failure and holding him responsible for the COVID mandates, which is the large illegal thing that I think sends a terrible, terrible trend that will continue to take away the rights of all Americans, especially service members. So that is the bigger kind of ideological shift that has happened. So unfortunately, since the we dropped the um, Declaration of Military Accountability, there hasn't been as much traction as we wanted. We had Matt Gates. He came into the space. He's retweeted things of mine, which is great. Um, have been in touch with Ron Johnson's office, tracking it, waiting for them to kind of make. Yeah. So. But there really hasn't been as much attention. I think MTG's retweeted it. So what that means to me is that we need to continue to push the issue, but we also need to be kind of practical. Like right now, what is everybody worried about? The border, especially. That is absolutely huge. But we do need to make sure that we make our voices heard. We get together with our specific um, congressmen or tried to advocate for specific for different candidates. So I went up and helped Matt Shoemaker campaign up in North Carolina. So trying to get these DMA candidates elected. Um, so I think that kind of these next steps, what I encourage people to do is to, you know, be patient, understand sort of where we fit with everything, 
but making it a bigger deal for congressmen that they making it a bigger deal for congressmen that it's something that they take seriously. Um, and that could be meeting with your specific ones, helping support specific candidates. And like, I'm probably going to go to CPAC um, later on this month and trying to hand out different cars, get people to sign the petition um, just and, and getting on different interviews. So, you know, wherever you're at, definitely don't let it take up your entire life, but continue to push the issue by, by getting the interviews you can, talking to your congressman, things of that nature. So uh, any kind of questions you guys have from that, Brad and Jordan? Uh, we're going to go ahead and move to, uh, to Doc, Pete Chambers. And then for those who do have questions, we will come back. We'll let everybody speak and, uh, and uh, ask your questions at the end. We're just going to give a couple of initial updates before we move on to the questions. So we're going to pass it over to uh, Doc, Pete Chambers for a, a quick update. Yeah, so uh, thanks for uh, for reminding me today, Brad. Uh, it was, uh, you know, it's been a go the last week, but uh, good thing is, is that I, I met with Robert and Jamie Agee, Ban uh, Banners for Freedom folks. Uh, when I initially started the Remnant A team down here, they put about six of them in Texas and it put us on the radar. I immediately had, you know, Tom Homan from ICE, former ICE director, contact me and say, hey, who are you guys and what are you doing? You know, then of course, uh, that that led into actually us getting some some movement with that, so it was good. So the banners were effective in Texas, but then they they said, well, hey, why don't we get some for your DMA folks? We have a benefactor that wants to do that. So twenty three billboards went up on the eighth, and I believe they uh, they come down on the eighteenth, and then we're working on a follow on uh, to get more. And there's only really one. And they're all it's, it's, there's probably a, a list of them floating around out there. I think I saw it, so that's good. Um, but they were uh, mostly in Texas, Louisiana, uh, I believe New Mexico, um, and it's kind of down this way. So I, I don't have them all in front of me right now, but there is one. I'm going to go up with Sam Shoemate and go look at and get a picture in front of right there um, north of uh, Fort Hood. So that's good. It's up in Waco, north of Temple. So we'll, we'll get we'll get that one out. And I think, you know, I suggest anybody in those areas or or has family members in those areas, get those out, send those to their congressmen, senators, state, state and federal side, uh, because they need to see that the people, that's how we do things down here. We, we embarrass the hell out of the governor and he does stuff. I mean, that's just the way it works. So, you know, we we've got to do the, the footwork, so to speak, you know, just like with this convoy you know that asked me to help him liaise i did of course took a lot of hits on the uh, alternative media which you know when somebody's shooting at you know what direction they're shooting when they miss you so that's good um but uh, that's that's exactly what i would recommend the way we work work this so we're going to work on a regional uh campaign uh next so since this hit the south central uh united states uh looking at you know maybe the eastern corridor next and then the um, upper midwest next and then i think that's just the way the money flows in this particular uh, benefactor. So we we can also go out and lobby for for more people that will donate and then you know keep keep that going because I you know we tried I tried Brad to get them out right outside of every installation in the in the continental United States. It's just I didn't have the I couldn't make that call. So that's the update there. Nothing nothing other otherwise uh, to follow. I'll be waiting for any questions at the end here. Hey, Doc, thanks, Doc. Really really appreciate that. Uh, over to you, Sonny. Oh, thanks, Brad. Thanks for the opportunity to speak. Hi, everybody. I'm Sonny. Um, I'm a signer on the uh, Declaration of Military Accountability and uh, also happen to be an uh, uh, employee of the Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, but my the views 
I express do not represent the Department of Veterans Affairs. They're my own. But um, my involvement in military accountability kind of started with um, my resistance within the Department of Veterans Affairs to the mandate there and then some veterans issues that I noted. And I wanted to bring a couple things to everybody's attention without uh, taking up too much time um, in terms of um, kind of talking about what John Franklin was talking about solutions. All right. The main concern is, um, you know, the tracking and the accountability of vaccine injuries. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about two categories. Um, I'm going to talk about service members. And when I talk about service members, I'm talking about service members who were injected by the military and veterans. I'm talking about veterans who were injected by the department of veterans affairs. Okay. There are two different categories and I'm going to have two different solutions for each one of these. Okay. For the service members that were injected in service with these toxic injections. Okay. If they were harmed. Okay. And they have a residual injury from, uh, or an adverse effect in service. They don't have too much to worry about in terms of being service connected for that condition, because even if the military doesn't tie to, uh, that vaccination, which they likely won't, because uh, we've heard all the stories about that. They're not, they're not keen on, um, you know, uh, tying any, uh, injuries to these vaccines, but for the service members who have an illness come up in service that did not exist prior to their service, there, there needs to be the understanding that they have a presumption of soundness. Okay. So even though the military might not relate their injury to the vaccine, if they have a, they can show harm or a chronic condition that arose during service. All right. It's going to be very easy for them to be service connected for that condition, even if it's not contributed to the vaccine. The concern with the military and the Department of Veterans Affairs, the main concern, okay, is delayed or long-term illnesses resulting from these injections. Because we have a problem, okay? <clears throat> the problem is, is that right after the, the military injected the government, let's just say the government injected the entire military, okay, and 4.5 million the last time I checked, veterans, Okay, with this COVID-19 injection, all right, these toxic shots, all right, they came out with the PACT Act, okay? And under the PACT Act, they came out with a provision, and it was called Toxic Exposure Risk Activity, okay? And basically, what this provision is designed to do, right, is designed to give the veterans or the service members um, who may have been uh, exposed to any form of toxic risk activity in service, the opportunity to get a medical opinion and an examination for any unexplained condition that might be due to that toxic exposure risk activity. Okay. <clears throat> now this, the law is very clear. They want liberally construed uh, concession of toxic exposure risk activities, but the VA came out with a policy that stated that there is no, the, the claims processors are not allowed to consider these these COVID-19 injections, which have multiple mechanisms of toxicity, okay, which just so everybody knows is the Sprite protein, the lipid nanoparticle, and now we have the DNA contamination. I'm sure there, you know, there's more, uh, we can go into more detail about that, but that, we can do that for hours. But it's multiple mechanisms of toxicity, okay, and, you know, basically coerced and force injected. Um, the entire military and the veterans, okay? And now 
they say that they can be considered all these unexplained conditions that might come up, right, can be considered as due to a toxic exposure risk activity, right? So this includes things like um, maybe serving in one, just flying over the Gulf for one day, um, having a job where you might have been exposed to jet fuel or other types of chemicals. Basically, you know, uh, it, you, you know, they say liberally construe it, so it could be multiple forms of uh, occupational exposure. Most most veterans would qualify for some sort of uh, toxic exposure, but they are not allowed to consider, okay, these toxic injections, right? And the thing about it is, is they say that that the reason for that is that there is no evidence that supports the conclusion that the vaccines have resulted in long-term effects, right? Well, to point the, the hypocrisy of this, right? All the rest of the toxic exposures are liberally construed and based on the facts and circumstances of service. But only these vaccines, you see, all right, vaccines and medications, right, which is what they say right after they, you know, mandated these toxic shots, experimental shots on everybody, right, can't be considered, right, because there's no long-term evidence, right? And so even if that was true, there, even if that, which is not, that there's no evidence of long-term effects from vaccines, right, they would be basing it on an entirely different technology. So, so basically they're just saying, you know, we're just going to take the older technology and apply it to the new ones and say there's going to be no long-term effects. And then we're not going to give these veterans that we force injected and these service members the opportunity to get a simple um, nexus in medical opinion. And obviously the result of this, the effect of this, is that if there are long-term harms from the shots, guess what? They get subsumed under other provisions like, you know, uh, the Gulf War, um, you know, exposure to other chemicals, you know, Camp Lejeune, whatever they can find, anything but vaccines, right? So that's one issue. The second issue is the 4.5 million veterans, and that's for the service members, right? And um, the, I'll, let me go back on that. The, uh, the positive end on this is that within the PACT Act and the toxic exposure risk activity, they have already created the legal framework, all right, to recognize these shots, all right. The only thing that it would require is for the VA to basically remove the, you know, what I see as a fraudulent policy. All right. And simply um, go with the spirit of the legislation and consider all forms of toxic exposure risks. All right. And go ahead and consider these shots and acknowledge that they are, it is a toxic exposure. Just acknowledge the facts and go with what the policy states in the legislation. And there you go. Everybody that was in service, if they're concerned that they were, uh, they have like maybe a cardiomyopathy or maybe a, a rare cancer that they think came out uh, and they get out of service a couple of years and they say, I can't see anything, but I think it was due to that COVID-19 vaccine. They can claim it and the VA say, okay, I see we have a shot in service. So we're going to go ahead and give them a medical opinion. And next, I think that's the bare minimum. Acknowledge the facts, facts and circumstances, spirit of the law. Of course, you know, that's a, that would really hurt their narrative. But the problem is, is it's true. It's true. They're toxic shots. They have multiple pathways. There is a toxic risk. Okay. And it's the bare minimum we can do for the veterans. All right. And for the 4.5 million veterans that were injected at VA medical centers, right? They don't understand it. That this is a very little known law. It's called Title 38 USC 1151. And basically, it, it, uh, they get, veterans can be compensated for injuries incurred from VA care. Okay. And so um, the problem with this law is, is that very few veterans know it exists, all right? And the argument is, is that the VA uh, needs to go ahead 
and send out letters to all the veterans and tell them that they are eligible, okay, to file a claim for uh, VA incurred vaccine injuries. And what the law does is if they get approved, if they have a residual harm, whatever their um, residual condition was from the VA care would be as if it was service connected. Okay. So they would have medical care and compensation for that injury. But like I said, nobody knows about that injury. So that's important to get out as well. Thank you, Sonny. Really appreciate you giving us that rundown and doing all this great research from all your work with the VA. Uh, we're, one of our next steps is going to be getting all this information into a one pager and start getting this out there, blasting, you know, all the vet organizations we know so we can start raising awareness for this and, and hopefully we can get. Sounds like a plan. I'm available for questions. If you can go on, I don't want to take up too much time. We'll, we'll, we'll do questions after kind of our, the end of our uh, update, but let's move over to Drew. Hey, thank you uh, for having me on. Uh, John Frankman uh, sent me a message saying this is going on tonight. So I appreciate that. I had a long, exhausting day with the VA and, and stuff. So I'll just give you my update. I was serving um, active duty and then National Guard uh, forced to get the, the vaccine uh, resulted. First, I got flu like I got it from the VA, from the M- Minnesota VA, too. So um, they said they were going to be flu like symptoms. Got that. And then they didn't go away, turn into tingling my hands and feet, then muscle weakness. And then I wake up and I can't move pretty much anything. And so get all the, the tests done. Um, it all came back negative and all this stuff. But the doctors knew I had Guillain-Barre syndrome. It, they nicknamed it the French polio. And so they had to do the spinal tap. And that's when they had their actual evidence. I don't know exactly what is in there. I should probably read through that medical file again. But, uh, but yeah, Guillain-Barre syndrome, they sent me right to the neurological ICU um, and said they had to put me into a coma and didn't know how long that was going to be. It turned into be a week of plasmapheresis and IVIG. Basically, they took my blood out, cleaned it up and put it back and it was able to stop the spread. GBS is basically your immune system turns on you, thinks your body's the enemy and starts shredding nerves and resulting in the paralysis and once it gets to your heart, lungs, and brain, it's, it's done. But they're able to stop the, the progress of that. But it's like a turn- tornado going through a city. They got that done, but the damage was was horrific. So I had to stay at the VA for another six months, completely paralyzed and just working up little by little of occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy, all this stuff to just get even back to any kind of normal life. And so that was six months. This was in 2021. Then I was a vegetable at home for about another six months. And now I'm starting to get back and have all these devices and canes and walkers and wheelchairs and stuff like that. But I'm doing whatever I can to speak. I've been doing a ton of interviews and um, any anything I can get out there because it, it's, it, it's tough sharing this stuff and being so weak and vulnerable coming from months. This was in 2021. Then I was a vegetable at home for about another six months. And now I'm starting to get back and have all these devices and canes and walkers and wheelchairs and stuff like that. But I'm doing whatever I can to speak. I've been doing a ton of interviews and um, any anything I can get out there because 
it's 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 tough sharing this stuff and being so weak and vulnerable coming from running spartan races um giving talks and updates to two-star generals and um all this beforehand and now it's just i'm in a completely different body and it's it's the stuff of nightmares but i can't just sit aside and it's been a couple of years now and nobody's the the right people are not speaking up and, and doing the right thing the ones that projected this so much the media the politicians the so-called experts so um I'm, I'm here for the fight so let me know how i can help and i i can't do a ton but it, when i have enough heads up i can you know do some interviews and or talk to people and do meetings and, and stuff like that i'm here to help and just kind of share my story it's it's my own um it's, it's not reflected the dod the va the minnesota guard the active duty it's this is my experience and we need to get some accountability. So my two things are to uh, remove the uh, legal liabilities that these pharmaceutical companies have. I'll keep fighting to until that's get removed because are we still in a pandemic? Do we still need the EUA right now? It doesn't seem like it. And then all the soldiers, all, all the service members who uh, got a less than honorable discharge for not taking it. And I want to fight for them as well, too. So those are those are my two big things, but I'm willing to help out with anybody else's uh cause out there so um just let me know how i can help hey thanks drew you know really appreciate you sharing your story i mean i know it's got to be difficult for you to uh kind of rehash what's happened to you but uh we really appreciate people like you and, and carolina who i know is also out there listening in uh, for you guys sharing your stories even though it's difficult to do so and with that we will move it over to crow 1218 hey thank you brad can you guys hear me okay we sure can. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, so if anybody has heard um, the interviews that Rob and Brad and myself and, uh, and John and a couple others have done, especially that first week in January, you would have heard, I know at least Rob saying that what we are doing right now is an operation. Um, the folks who signed the Declaration of Military Accountability were all veterans, and we've been trained on how to plan and execute operations. And while it's only been a month and a half, give or take, since the Declaration of Military Accountability has been dropped, um, people need to understand that this is a fight that has been going on for at least two, probably closer to three years now. And so I say that just to hopefully give some warm fuzzies to, to the folks who might just be joining um, this effort and this movement, this pledge, that we have tried from early, early on, 2020, 2021, especially when the mandate first came out, um, to educate our chain of command via, you know, religious accommodation requests by just by just sending them information that we were able to gather um, so that they would be able to make a smart decision, a lawful decision. So everything from your religious accommodation requests to um, EO complaints, to IG complaints, to Article 138s, we have been very um, active in trying to bring uh, awareness and and law, uh, law <laughs> and lawful behavior back to the DOD. Additionally, and, and one of the things I just wanted to highlight here, you all can see in Rob Green's profile, he's got his book, Defending the Constitution Behind Enemy Lines. And so I wanted to share, um, in case the audience has not seen um, an interview that that Rob and I did with Brad a couple months ago. Um, it was the brilliant idea from one of our Navy folks, Billy, to, um, to send a copy of this book 
right, as another way to be proactive, to maybe educate those who, who hadn't gotten the word that these <laughs> vaccines were dangerous and the, and the mandate was unlawful, immoral, and unethical. So over the course of September and October primarily, um, myself, along with a few other folks who are going to name be named, well, not be named, they're going to go nameless for right now, um, we sent at minimum 50 to 60 books uh, to the top military leaders. That includes the Air Force, the Army, the Navy, to include the Coast Guard and the Marines. Um, in that in that package, in that book, we also included a memorandum that was signed with our contact information um, also listed, right? So we've been very open and transparent with our effort to educate, to basically um, encourage those leaders to open their eyes and their minds and their hearts to learn and then join us in this fight to make airmen and soldiers and Marines whole again, right? We caused this mess that we're in. We need to own it and we need to do whatever we can to fix it. And so I say all that because, you know, some of the, um, some of the feedback and questions that we get is, you know, well, where is the DMA now and what's happening and why aren't things moving so fast? For those of us who have been fighting this for the last three years, we understand that this is this is a long-term uh, fight. You know, this is the war and there's battles that are going to be won and there's going to battle, be battles that are going to be lost. And so at the end of the day, while, you know, we appreciate everybody signing um, the pledge, the petition, what what you're telling us is that you are willing to get off of your couch, right? And do something, even if it's not related to uh, holding the DOD leaders accountable, it's holding our government officials accountable. So whether that's in your, your local town, your county, your state, um, going all the way up to federal. And so I just wanted to give everybody an update that, um, you know, there are Many of the leaders, I'm not, I, I can't tell you if they have actually opened the package and read the book. I do know that there is one, two, at least one two-star army general who actually sent me a card back thanking me for the gift. Um, and then unfortunately, I also have been, uh, some folks have returned the book to me. In fact, I just got a return package today from the Coast Guard uh, Academy saying, hey, we can't, we can't accept this. And then they cited some law. And of course, you know, we all get a chuckle because, you know, so some laws they want to abide by and other laws such as 10 U.S. Code 1107 Alpha, uh, they don't. Um, and that pertains to injecting service members with an EUA product. So anyway, I'm here for any questions. I'll hang out. But I just wanted to give you guys an update that the last thing we're doing is quitting. This DMA has been the most offensive um, act that we've taken. And it's, just going to continue from here, especially the more we get um, involved, linking arm in arm with us to uh, to fight this fight. So thanks much. I appreciate the time. Hey, thanks so much. So that's great. And um, well, that that kind of that's kind of the update that we wanted to start with. So now we'll kind of open it up for questions or comments from the group. If you'd like to speak, just request to speak. And so if you heard one of the updates from someone, but you want a little bit more, you want to respond, or you want to know how to contact somebody else, you know, by all means, ask a question. So please request to speak. And then once you're given permission to speak, please raise your hand so that we can see it and we can let you ask your question or make your comment. If you have links, please drop the links down below so that people can see them. The other thing that I would ask you to do is you got some real heroes that are out there in this group. So we, again, we got to get out of our own echo chamber 
but we also have to make ourselves, you know, influential and project our own voices. So when you see these heroes that are out there or that are talking or that are uh, getting off the couch, et cetera, you know, please follow these individuals. You know, so if you're, if you're not already following some of these, make sure you go to their, uh, their profiles and you follow, because there are a lot of people out here that are putting out some very great material, whether it's links to helpful websites, whether it's just extremely insightful posts, which are important, or whether it's links to interviews that people have done or other material, you want to make sure that you, one, don't miss that, but also that you can help spread that out to other people that need to hear it. So with that said, um, if you have a question, if you have comments that you would like to make, please request to speak, then raise your hand so that we can see you and we can, uh, we can let you talk. Um, but again, that kind of concludes where we're at with our, uh, with our update. I'm going to turn it over to Jordan real quick, uh, one of the other co-hosts. And then from there, we will go to Nate Kane next. Um, and then from there, whoever else wants to speak, you know, we certainly would like to give you a couple of minutes to uh, ask any questions you have or your comments. So, Jordan, over to you. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, I just wanted to address um, really quick three asks of the audience um, for ways to get involved, you know, action items for those who have signed the pledge to support the Declaration of Military Accountability um, the first is to share that declaration with anyone you can, um, especially if you're involved in your local, you know, political parties, um, your local patriot groups, share that declaration. The second is within the declaration, there are really two action items um, or two goals that we've laid out. One is electing representatives who will either, you know, create legislation that is going to hold military officers accountable through withholding pay, or the second is we get a SECDEF service secretary in POTUS that is going to court-martial um, military officers who have violated the law and violated their oath. So those three requests that I'm asking is, you know, share the declaration, educate your your congressman, your congresswoman on the fact that they can, you, they have the authority to hold military members accountable through legislation. So that's the second point. And the third is if you show up to any, you know, presidential candidates uh, forums or, or um, rallies, see if you can just educate the audience on the authority that the POTUS has when it comes to SECDEF and service secretary appointments, because that is so vital to ensuring that we have accountability within the military. We have to restore the military. Um, if we do not restore the military, the outlook is not looking good. Um, and so that is why we're so passionate about this. That's why we're not going to stop. Um, and those are three things that we can do. They're simple things. It's really just share that message and educate our representatives on the authority that they have, you know, that the Constitution gives them when it comes to holding military members accountable who have violated their oath and violated the law. So those are just the three asks that I have. Um, and we'll turn it over to um, Nate next. Hey, thanks for uh, letting me speak. Um, <clears throat> so I wanted to I think that's called DMA pilling. <laughs> so so this is the one one of the things that that i would like to do is is start uh working with um I, I know some of the other candidates to give you guys an update on on that those of us that are um signers of the dma um there has been a joint fundraising committee that's been uh put together and so that's coming together nicely uh thanks largely in part to uh uh, the, uh, the efforts of uh, a few of the guys that have really stepped up and uh, taken that on. Um, for those of us, obviously, that are running, I mean, our, our lives right now are um, 
a bit overwhelmingly busy, as they should be, because uh, we're out campaigning. Um, but <clears throat> this last week, I missed a whole lot because uh, I was down with the flu and uh, down with the sickness. <laughs> and, uh, and so I am now uh, uh, recovering from that. Um, I did want to say, though, I, I think that we probably need to um, also start looking at uh, far as that legislative effort, Jordan, that you were just talking about. Um, I, I think it would be good to start working on drafting, you know, some draft legislation now and start preparing that uh, ahead of time. Um, I have some I have some people that might be able to help with that. Uh, some people that that I've worked with on other issues and, uh, and then I've helped support them in some of their causes. And I've also been down to D.C. and talked with different legislative, uh, um, and, you know, uh, some of the different representatives uh, and, and senators, uh, legislative people. And um, so I think it would be a good idea to start lining up support, you know, as well. And uh, maybe there would be, you know, a few people down there that might want to help that are believers in this and uh, that are allies with us that might want to help to, you know, support this sort of thing and uh, maybe offer some of their legislative, you know, efforts towards that. So um, I'm all, I'm all uh, game for, uh, you know, involvement in that. Uh, obviously, that's something that, you know, I'm, I'm signing up for as I'm running, you know, for office. So, and I'm sure, you know, any of us that are running, you know, would probably it'd be a great experience to be able to work on some legislation even before, you know, getting elected. So. Yeah, thanks for that. So one thing that I just want to say, you know, about why this is so important. So we do have individuals who are running for office right now. And I, and I know where we're at as a nation. And I know that there are plenty of people out there who have become quite jaded towards the the efficiency or even the uh, the sanctity of our political system. I completely understand that. I'm probably one of those individuals who is quite jaded on that. But at the same time, with everything that we are trying to do, we acknowledge that the system is highly problematic, that the that things are very bad. This goes back to what I was saying before. We can be optimistic and we can fight to want to change things, but we at the same time have to have a realistic appraisal of what the situation really is. We have to understand the gravity of the situation. Otherwise, we're not being optimistic. We're just being naive. So with that said, nothing that we are trying to achieve are we trying to do by circumventing the system or trying to you know, suspend the Constitution or do anything outside of the framework of the law? Everything that we are doing is meant to merely use the systems that are in place, use the framework of our Constitution and laws that are in place, and just ask that those actually be followed. We're the ones who are saying they haven't been followed, that the Constitution has not been followed, that the laws have been broken, that the military's own regulations have been broken. We're the ones saying that, and we're just asking that those be followed. So what I would say about plenty of the people who are running for office right now and why this is important is you have individuals who not only understand what the Constitution means, but they have demonstrated through their actions that they that they have internalized what the Constitution means. And unfortunately, that is a rarity on Capitol Hill. Uh, I have been, I'm, I don't want to say surprised, because unfortunately it's just not that surprising to me, but um, I have certainly been 
um, dismayed, certainly disappointed at the lack of support that we have received over the last couple of years. Um, courage and integrity are not traits that are in abundant supply on Capitol Hill. They, they, they are not. Um, those very, very few individuals who have been willing to help us have been very few and very far in between. So what I'm saying is, is when you have individuals who have been through what I would call a constitutional crucible, and they have shown that they understand, they have internalized, they know what the Constitution means, then um, I think that that at least shows that there are people out there that are running for elected office for all the right reasons, not because of their own self-aggrandizement or their um, or to try to put themselves over on other people, but because they want to serve Americans and they want to do what's right for the nation. So I just wanted to throw a couple of my thoughts out there and... Um, Again, uh, I wanted to say, if you are out there listening, this goes back to what Jordan said a couple of minutes ago, and you haven't gone to militaryaccountability.com, please go to that and read that pledge. So Rob Green said something when we opened this up that was very important. We've been using the word petition. We've talked about the open letter, the Declaration of Military Accountability, and the 231 signatories, and we refer to that as a pledge. And then we've talked about this associated petition that anyone can sign. But Rob said at the, uh, at the opening of this space that we, we need to stop referring to that associated document as a petition. And we need to start referring to that as a pledge as well, because this is about commitment. We've, we've got to get committed to fighting for our nation. And I don't mean, you know, via violence, but what I do mean when I say fight is we've got to get heavily invested, you know, emotionally invested, morally invested, spiritually invested, and, um, and, and pledging that we're going to do what's right to get our, uh, to get our nation back on track. So with that said, I'll shut up and uh, happy to pass it on to anyone else who would like to speak. So again, if you would like to speak, please request to speak. And then once you have permission, then uh, please just raise your hand so we can acknowledge you. And so with that said, I will turn it over to John Matthew, please. Thanks, Brad, uh, and thank you, Jordan, uh, Rob, uh, Doc, Nate, Ivan, John, uh, for everything you guys have done. I, I gratefully appreciate your sacrifice to uh, your fellow man and country. Um, I, I'm just coming up uh, to just plant some seeds, uh, just as a, a fellow man, and uh, whether it be to the north, the south, the east, the west, it doesn't matter as far as I'm concerned at, at this given moment. Um, and it, it's good to have those reminders. And Brad, thank you so much for, for mentioning the things you did state and Nate as well. And thank you uh, for everything you're doing in, in your efforts. Um, <clears throat> one thing that I'm noticing just kind of on the outside, I go to a lot of spaces. I, I you know, try and get involved uh, locally. I get involved in my states. I have for the last three years, over the last eight years, I've been advocating for uh, you know, crimes against humanities in various forms, more specifically, uh, trafficking of all forms, uh, and, you know, the, the rights that are, uh, you know, directly given to us when, when we're born. So, uh, you know, that, that's where that, that constitution comes in as our protection, right? That is a shield of sorts. Our rights aren't derived from that. And I think that's an important reminder because, um, it's good to come back to the green grass and, you know, when we get, in our lanes and in our puzzle piece and in our journey and walk, whatever, uh, it, it's important to 
you know, think of the language uh, that you were kind of speaking to. And this is something I just, uh, I, I've heard a few times uh, and I just kind of want to give this a reminder to you guys as well. Um, because even though you did serve uh, in a capacity that you did, and uh, whether that service is, you know, by officially, uh, you know, stated active or inactive, it's irrelevant, right? Because, you know, our service is, it should be at least to our fellow man and country anyways. But regardless of that, uh, the administrative process of things really runs rampant, right? And they use that language against us. It's part of the deceptive measures. And unfortunately, when it comes to the law aspect of things, this is where it gets so entangled. This is where it just flows down. I mean, ironically, that's why the DOD uh, themselves has a plain you know, English model. So, uh, you know, you got to ask why, <laughs> right? I thought that's what we were speaking the whole time. But, you know, it's because of these things, though, that it's so important to remember, even in, in a reminder sense of the accountability that they have, right? That's kind of a service of notice to them. And the, the biggest part that I want to kind of instill is that regardless of political uh, status or belief or anything else, harm is harm, okay? You guys were harmed. Harm has, has been done to many people. And when it comes to harm, okay, that is irrefutable. It, it is without a shadow of a doubt something, uh, evidence is out there that they knew. Okay, so when they the administrative process has these layers that are built in so deep that we get now intertwined in the next thing, we gotta bring it back to the basics, the 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 first foundational simple elements of the things, right? And and this isn't to say that you guys are doing anything right or wrong. Please do not take it that way. I'm just kind of bringing it back once again to the green grass sort of approach, because at the end of the day, it is our duty and responsibility to even those acting in the member of legislation, if they don't act and it is incumbent on them to act, it is our duty then to take further action. I feel like a lot of people in a lot of different realms are, are seemingly stuck because lawyers aren't helping them or lawyers are bound or the medical industry or the you know industrial complex of XYZ, it doesn't matter. It's all the same when it comes to the harms. And so we really need to take action and just simplify it. You know, uh, an extension of grace would be like a service notice, right? So if you inform them of the harm that is done now, they are knowingly uh, aware of it. It is their duty to act upon that. If they don't, we have to give them a simple reminder, right? So that would be like a step two. And so these are things that each and every one of us can take. If they don't, it is then upon us to take action if we so choose. And I feel like uh, a lot of people are kind of stuck in the, you know, the quandary of do I take further action or not? And so I think this is just kind of a, a reminder also to others out there that, you know, we should be taking action uh, because uh, if we know this and they know this and nothing's being done, then further harms are being done to people. There's no reason why knowingly uh, so many so many people have been harmed and this is still allowed to continue. So we need to remove those officials who aren't taking action. Uh, we need to replace them with good people who want to make good choices, good actions, and then we can all move forward, right? So I just wanted to kind of end with that, but I, I really just wanted to say thank you guys so much for everything you do. Uh, and I'm, you know, if there's anything you need from me, I, I uh, kind of advocate between different groups 
and and no drew uh pretty well as as well i don't know if he's still in here but uh love everything you're doing and i appreciate you guys thank you hey thanks so much hey, one note real quick and then we'll pass it over to dirty dog but um if you go to i wanted to make this note because i know that this has caused some confusion i just want to answer this question so if you go to our there's a question about urls when it comes to the site so if you put in militaryaccountability.com or militaryaccountability.net, it's going to take you to the same site. So it started as uh, militaryaccountability.com. Now we have both URLs. So sometimes I get questions about that. I just wanted to put that out there. So for me, I always refer to it as militaryaccountability.com because that's what it was in the beginning. And I just you know, tried to be consistent in, in my own messaging. But if you, if you type in militaryaccountability.com and you see that it takes you to militaryaccountability.net, don't fret. You're still in the right place. Having said that, just one more plug. Please go to that. If you have not signed and you feel like you should when you read it, please read it before you sign it. Then we ask you to please sign it and please share it. Um, we have 26,000 signatures. So 26,000 signatures of Americans that want to get actively engaged and, and, and are committed to putting their country on the right track. That is amazing, but we need 26,000 more and then we need another 26,000. So please help us in that endeavor. And um, if you haven't taken a look at the site and you're listening, I would encourage you to do that right now. So with that said, over to um, the next speaker, Dirty Dog. Hey, thanks, Brad. And uh, thanks to all of the founders of uh, MDA. I appreciate it. Um, wanted to bring a, a major concern. <clears throat> Had a, I have a colleague and friend and that's still active duty, and they just started his MEB process to uh, med board him out. And uh, it's, it's due to the vaccine injury. So going back to the vaccine, of course, rollout and all that stuff, he didn't want the vaccine and he tried every exemption and all of it was denied and he was forced vaccine. So he took it. Um, he had a vaccine injury of blood clots, uh, all the way above his knee down to his feet with 95% blockage. And it's concerning to me because he was in the hospital. Did we, did we lose him? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, I think he was muted by accident. <laughs> okay, well we'll see if he uh, we'll see if he comes back. So, Dirty Dog, are you still there? Who are you looking for? There we go. There we go. Yeah, I, I got muted somehow. <laughs> I looked down and then saw a big red mute. Okay. Yeah, well we we've got you. So go I'm ahead. Here. Okay. I don't know where I was muted. I wasn't watching the, the phone, but anywho, uh, my friend was started the med board process just last week. And in the beginning he refused it and, um, took it anyway because all of his, uh, requests were denied. Um, and he's got, he's got blockage 95%, you know, kneecap to his toes. He's on every blood thinner imaginable. And I gave him in the very beginning, all of the information, everything from Judy Mikovits to pick any of the doctors. And he was on board with it being a vaccine injury for the first nine months that, uh, you know, he's going through his injury. Uh, he was at Bethesda for, like I said, just under two years. And he's going through the med, broad, med board process. Now, here's the concerning thing. 
the closer that it's gotten to his med board process, the more he has been resistant to talk to me. And it's, it, I, I finally had to blow his phone up and say, hey, what is wrong? They've got him convinced that this is not a vaccine injury. We're talking a six foot two, 220 powerhouse of a man. And he gets crippled because of blood clots in both legs, knees to the below. And to this day, Monday, they, the doctors, the 06s, 07s, the doctors are still telling him that it is not a vaccine injury, that it is some pre-existing condition that is that is from his heritage. And he, they're, they're, they're doing DNA tests to try and see if they can pin it on something other than the vaccine. And that is grotesque, in my opinion, because everything that I've seen with the fiber and they here's another thing. They will not do an exploratory scope to see if it's a, one of the fibrin clots. And uh, I think it's fibrin clot. I'm convinced with everything that he's told me, but they're convincing him that it's not because of the vaccine. And they're, they're going to process him out and hand him over to the VA and, you know, sweep the, the dust out the door. So it's I just wanted people to be mindful of you might have friends or colleagues that are still out there that are being coerced into thinking that it's not a vaccine injury. I'd like to talk to the guy that was with the VA. If he could DM me, I already friend, uh, sent a uh, follow. What what was that that he called the toxic the toxicology exposure? Because I'd like to send that to my uh, our brother. Yeah, it's called Tara, and I'm actually going to let Carolina speak um, because she's vaccine injured and she's been through this process for a couple years now. Um, so Carolina, if you want to go ahead and unmute, you can address that. Thanks, Jordan. I appreciate you for letting me come on. Um, obviously, I'm active duty, so thoughts, views, opinions are my own. I don't represent DOD or the U.S. Army. Um, so many of y'all know my story. I've had uh, multiple heart attacks, three to be specific, a mini stroke, and numerous other conditions. And I want to um, touch on the point where they talk about like any pre-existing conditions or anything that would have been genetic. Um Number one is you had to go into the military perfectly healthy. Like that medical examination that they did on you to whatever extent was like 100% says you're healthy. They allowed you in. That's their work, their test that they did to let you in. So for them to sit there and say, this is something that you came in here with is basically saying that the work they did was like false. And I would say 100% like there's something wrong with that whole situation. Um, number two, they've tried every single test to see if any genetic testing on me was even going to show positive. Did I have a heart, like um, a hole in my heart or anything like that, that would have shown up at like 21 years? No, there was absolutely nothing. Um, we've noticed that in literally every single person. So it's like they can run all these tests and whatever, but they're going to keep doing that day in and day out and still run into like the roadblock of this was not pre-existing. Um, what he needs to realize, I guess, is just like what he's going up against and pretty much stick to his guns and tune out kind of like what they're saying um, and keep his story consistent, uh, talk about his symptoms and make sure he track he tracks everything, writes everything down, documents absolutely every detail. Today, I went uh, to physical therapy and like despite the fact that they told me there's nothing else we can do for you um, due to the spine injury you have, I still have it documented that like I have sleep issues and I have heart issues and like whatever. Every single doctor knows every single issue 
And so when they write it all up in the end, they're going to be like, her story never changed. Her symptoms never changed. Her condition never changed. And every single person has the same story. Can I add something briefly to that? Yeah. Um, so this is one thing I wanted to add also kind of speaking to the language uh, that I was referring to before. You know, good people just don't deceive, you know, on the regular because they want to, right? This is one of the evils that's been done. The literal definition of vaccination was changed, okay? So now we go from a vaccine to a gene therapy, and then it's also defined and acknowledged as being defined as a bioweapon. We have three definitions for the same damn bioweapon, and that is what it is. It is a bioweapon. It was weaponized. Uh, you know, from the administrative realm of the DOD to our servicemen and women and the rest of the people around the world. And that's a fact, okay? That can't be irrefutable because the fact is you guys are harmed. I don't give a shit what they call it, but the fact is that's the deception. And technically when they say it's not a vaccine injury, think about it. Are they really lying or are they being deceptive? So I wanted to plant that seed because it is really, really important that if we are being specific in our statements of harms and we're aware of this knowledge, we apply it and let them know that we are aware of their malfeasance as well. Because, you know, the language doesn't give them an opportunity to hide behind the fact that people are harmed and they're not doing anything about it. So I'll, I'll stop there. Thank you. Ted or Carolina, I know both of you probably want to address um, Dirty Dog. So go ahead, either of you. Trail real quick. So I uh, I work at a clinic, and I wanted to add that this these aren't one-off things, in um, in a personal capacity, as well as at work, and um, all the people who reach out to Mara as well. Um, there, there's a common theme, and it's they're for sure that it's not the COVID shot, which tells you that they're they don't know for sure it's that's that's just something that they're that they're saying because you can't rule it out if you don't know so that in addition to that um they are all saying it's either hereditary and, and through genetic testing like they're pushing it and i can i don't want to give too much um info away but that's it was a younger kid, um, all similar story to the ones you hear, and he's confused. He's like, my parents never had these things, blah, 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 but they're just pushing it. And they, and a lot of the younger kids that are going through this, they just, they just want to get out and um, they want to get their 100% because they're just... They're in the they're in the they're in the dumps. It's it's like it's a sad sight to see, um, and they just don't feel like they have the support. Um, and it's it's a we gotta keep doing what we're doing because um, it's just gonna keep happening, and it's it truly is destroying readiness. Um, and I'll keep it at that. But I'll be saying more later. Once um, 
some things are resolved, but I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, and you know, I think all of this, there's there's just different aspects of the DMA, but it all comes down to accountability. And like Ted was saying, I mean, these these guys are demoralized because they were coerced into doing something against their will, against their, you know, their their choice. And now they're being coerced into believing that it's their fault. Um, and, and these doctors in, in the Department of Defense, they're going to do everything that they can, right? The propaganda that was forced down our throats every single day, we were getting multiple emails a day about, you know, at first it was volunteer to get this vaccine. And then it was multiple emails a day, every single day telling us to get these vaccines. Um, you know, being told that a religious exemption was going to get denied, a medical exemption is going to get denied. So you're getting all this propaganda they're still forcing this propaganda down our throats. Um, and I know Carolina can speak to this too. But when you have a service member that goes in with an injury, they're going to be told by the people that they're supposed to trust, right, the medical professionals, that that it's their fault or that it's somehow, you know, a result of, of the flu or maybe, you know, uh, service connected in some way that is not the vaccine. And that is because that is their talking point. You know, it's it's shadow policy. They're not allowed to associate um, any sort of injury with the vaccine. So we really need, we need to educate people. That's part of what this is about, but we also need to encourage people to, you know, stand firm in their beliefs. Um, like Carolina has done to say, no, I want a second opinion. And she's gotten multiple opinions, not just a second one. She's gotten like opinion after opinion, you know, she's paid out of pocket to, to get different opinions. Um, and she's gotten it documented. And so, you know, if these people, if your friend is looking for a support network, put them in contact with us. Um, you can DM me. Um, we do have a support network of vaccine injured service members. We are helping each other all the time. Um, we are taking lessons learned, but all this comes down to accountability. Um, so it's, it's not just accountability for all the, the members who have been forced out. It's the moral injury. It's the physical injury. It's the vaccine injury. It's all of these things that we, you know, are demanding accountability from military officers. And we would love it if, if one of these general officers, you know, they see what's going on and, and they decide like, I can no longer stay silent. I now, I, you know, I, now that I know the truth, like I need to do what's right by my oath, by my country, you know, by the people that I am in, you know, charged with, with, um, supervising and, and do something right. Right. Your, your oath doesn't expire. There is a time for them to say like, you know, I made a mistake and I didn't know then what I know now, all of them know now we've, we've educated them. So even if it's not the, you know, we get a representative to change the legislation or get, you know, POTUS and SECDEP and service secretaries to court martial these members, we are also asking the general officers in charge to, you know, have the courage to correct what they've done. Um, so I will, I, I think you wanted to have, you had a question for Sunny. So go ahead, Sunny, if you wanted to address Dirty Dog. I didn't catch what Dirty Dog's uh, question was, but I was just going to drop in on what you're saying. And okay. So I want to reiterate for the service members that are in. OK, so there's this rumor going around that, uh, oh, you know, the PrEP Act, I, I, you know, you can't be uh, you can't be compensated. Right uh, now, the PrEP Act does not prevent you from getting VA compensation for um, an injury, regardless of the vaccine or whatever. OK, um, the VA compensation system will still actually they actually have a provision if you were um injured by the shot and you can show it in service you the, the va even has a policy that says hey uh you know they'll they'll consider that and, okay so the thing is and that's the covid 19 shot right so the thing is is that um it's the long-term effects right so these service members all right 
that are coming down with all these illnesses while in service, right? They don't have to tie it to a vaccine. It's like we said earlier. They have a presumption of soundness. Okay, if if they if it didn't pre-exist service, right, it's going to be found to be service connected. You know, most likely, you know, ninety nine percent likelihood it's going to be connected to service, and unless there's some reason where they can point out that it definitely wasn't. You know, the evidence is all on your side. The VA is a non-adversarial system, um, and you know the the key point is to for all these folks that got uh, injected while in service right now, all right, is to make sure you get yourself checked out, right? And make sure you claim everything you possibly can and don't, and you know, the best thing to do is go through the pre-discharge programs that they're getting out and make those claims before you even get out of service, okay? Um, but the, the uh, you know, there's rumors floating around that are scaring people out, all right, of doing this. But like, the, with, with the, if the uh, military doctors saying, hey, look, oh, we're, you know, we can't die, that's, that's on them. They're not tying it to a, a vaccine injury because it, it, it looks bad on them or it threatens them in some way. There's there's nothing that uh, tying it to a vaccine injury or not tying it to a vaccine injury has nothing to do with how the service connection, uh, the service connection in the VA compensation side. Right. And then you go to the same thing. All right. What we talked about earlier, if you get out of service and you come up with something, you know, you have all these uh, toxic exposure provisions. Right. Um, but they won't consider it. Um, as a long-term uh, effects, right? So they, they've got all the incentives lined up for, um, for you know, you know, subsuming these injuries as you know, just due to direct service connection or due to uh, another uh, theory of service connection, anything but a vaccine injury. And my main concern is, all right. So, you know, the VA. Let's think about think about it like this: the more service-connected veterans that the VA has, right? the bigger their budget is, right? Right? The more powerful the organization is. A lot of people say, oh, what's the incentive? I, I really don't, I don't see a lot of incentive for the, the VA not to service connect people. Okay? Just from my perspective, I just don't see it. They, the more veterans that are service connected, the bigger their budget gets. And, you know, the laws are there in place. And, and that's, that's the fact. However, there is a conflict of interest from the VA um, recognizing vaccine injuries. And let me tell you why. Real quick. Right? Who is the first... All right. Um, executive in the federal government to mandate a vaccine on uh, uh, their employees. Now, I'll answer the question. That was the secretary of the VA was the first before the even military came out, mandated the healthcare workers. As a matter of fact, they're still under that mandate. They're still under that mandate. OK, um, while well, the, everybody else is off of it, but the, the, the um, VA healthcare workers are still mandated to take a COVID-19 injection. Right. Unless they get a religious or medical exemption. <clears throat> now, can you imagine, um, you know, the problem of having to acknowledge, uh, you know, large scale amounts of injuries? I'll tell you an interesting FOIA just came back, just so everybody understands. Um, recently, turns out, just, you know, incidentally, that for about 400,000 veterans were hospitalized within six months of having to take that COVID-19 vaccine. Now, in any population, uh, you know, that's, that's not conclusive of anything. You know, but in any population, how, how often would you see 400,000 people need to go to the hospital after any event? Right. Um, you know, 